All right, well, I'm just going to say it. I think that song was for me. So uh, I don't know if you experienced that particular way. Um, I think sometimes you come to church, and, and I have this happen just because I do this a lot, and people come up to me and go, hey, man, I so loved it when you said this, and I'm thinking to myself, listen, I know exactly what I say, and I did not say that, but, but that was for you, right? Something that's prayed, something that's said, some lyric that is sung, some song that happens, you come in here in your darkness oftentimes, and you realize in that moment, that's for me. I think that's the grace of God to us. I think that's, that's God saying to you, wherever you're at in life, hey, you know what? I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what's going on in your life, and I have a word of life for you. And so I loved that song. It was really, really fantastic. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about darkness today. So as we continue in this series where we're asking and answering questions from the life of Jesus and from the Bible also in general, we come today uh, to kind of an obvious question. So the question is, why is there so much hatred in the world? And I say that it's obvious because, guys, just turn on the news, listen to talk radio, go on social media, drive around Fort Lauderdale. And you'll understand the question. I was actually driving here yesterday just to come to work, and there were these two guys in the cars in front of me, like on Federal Highway, who were going at it. Like, they pulled up to a stoplight, and the guy in car B grabbed like a plastic water bottle and bounced it off the side of this other guy's truck. I mean, they're yelling. I'm thinking, like, I slowed way back. I'm like, man, you know, I don't want any part of this. And it became pretty evident that the guy in car A did not want any part of the guy in car B. And I I learned why, because after we went around the curve, car A went one way, car B went this way, and so did I, and I pulled up next to the car B guy, and he was like ginormous, man. I mean, he was just this huge, like, scary guy, and I thought, I don't know what the other dude did, but I'm just getting away from you as fast as I can, because, but everybody's angry. Everybody's polarized over a thousand different things. And, and here's what feels like it's a little bit different to me. What feels different to me is now I can't just agree to disagree with you. No, no, no. Now if you disagree with me, now I have to hate you. Now I have to villainize you. Now I have to terrorize you. Now you're my enemy. Now I have to look for every opportunity to put you down or to make you look stupid or to show the world why you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like a virus, man. And we all have at least a little of it. Now you get on social media. Oh, good grief. And what a place to vent. Not really. It's a fascinating thought. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Because Paul comes to us and he says, let me give you the fruit of the Spirit. So here's what God is looking to engender in you. This is, this is what the Spirit of the Lord wants to see coming out of your life in a whole variety of ways. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think about that when you sit down to, to post something. Really, am I throwing water on this or gasoline? Does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said by me now? Does this need to be said by me now? in this particular way? Or would it just be better if I called this guy up that I've known for a long time and I said, hey man, can I just buy you breakfast and can we just talk about this? Because you've been saying some things that I don't really understand and I've got a kind of a different position on this thing. And so, you know, I want to be able to come together with you and maybe I can win you or maybe you can win me because I don't know everything. And then just run it through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
We need to be different. But as I thought about this question, you know, why is there so much hatred in the world? I honestly thought, you know what? It's a great question. It's an obvious question. Love the question, but I think it's a little too narrow. In other words, I think if it's all that we deal with, and there is going to be a whole host of people who are not afflicted so much or not so much concerned with that as they are, for example, mental health issues. Like, that's your thing, and that's what's afflicting you or somebody in your family, and therefore you. And you're thinking, well, it's nice that you dealt with hatred, but what about this? Or maybe it's physical issues. Well, it's nice that you dealt with hatred, but what about this? Or maybe it's abuse or abandonment or neglect or a whole host of pathologies caused as a result of our fundamental human brokenness. So as I thought about it, I thought, you know, maybe the question behind the question, the one that sort of answers all of them, is this question instead. And I want to run through the preface to the question. The preface to the question is, if God created all things perfectly, and I just want to pause there for a minute and say, you know what, that's the claim of the Bible. It is that we have a perfect God who then created all things perfectly. And in fact, that is his testimony about the creative order. I mean, like when you look through the story of creation at the end of each one of these days, as he completes his day, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. It was very good, he proclaims it in the end. And good to God is a little bit different than good to me and good to you. You know, like you hire a landscaper and he comes out and he does the work for you and he asks you afterwards, how is it? And you say, it's good, you know, because like you're generally pretty jacked about it. Like you, you're thinking, yeah, right on. But, you know, that just doesn't mean that it's perfect. I mean, you know, there were bricks that he used that you thought were going to be different color. There were plants that he planted. And you said, oh, you're thinking to yourself, I thought we had talked about different, you know, and maybe you have to have him pull these things out and fix it. But it's generally good. We talk about people that way. We say, hey, that's a good person. Do we mean that's a perfect person? Of course we don't mean that's a perfect person. We just mean they're good people. You know, my son came up to me after the first service. He said, you can say this, Dad, so I'll use it. I went driving with him yesterday for the first time. So pray for us. There are lots of reasons to pray for us. That's just one of them. And pray for yourself, because now we're on the streets. So keep that in mind. And he said, you should have said, I did a good job, except when I blew through the stop sign. And I said, I said but you did. You, generally, it was good, except for that moment. And then he almost rear-ended somebody. And I was yelling, stop, stop the car, slow down. He's like, I've got this. Famous last words, right? How many, how many people's last words were, watch this? That's it, never heard from again. No, he really, he actually, he did do a good job. So for the record, he did do a good job. But if God created all things perfectly, then why does evil even exist? Why? And, as an important follow-up, where did it come from? Because evil is the source of the pathologies that we're all concerned about, hatred, abuse, neglect, the whole shooting match. At least according to the Bible, it comes from that. Where did this, this brokenness, where did it come from? And I want to start with the why question. And believe it or not, I actually answered this question a couple of weeks ago when I backed away from a different question and said, all right, well, let's just answer this question. Why does anything at all exist? And the answer to the question that I gave then and I'll give you now is God created everything that exists to proclaim, to declare, to communicate himself, who he is and what he's like to everyone who exists. He created everything that exists to communicate himself to everyone that exists. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that that's not at all egotistical if you're God. It's egotistical if you're Tom. If by some really horrible instance, I somehow became the creator of all things, 
And I said, hey, you know, I, Broken Tom, think I'm like super delightful. Like I'm just, I'm like this amazing being. I'm I'm the greatest thing ever. There's nothing in the universe quite as wonderful and majestic and awesome as me. And so I'm going to create all things to communicate me to you nonstop because I know that you're going to delight in me as much as I delight in me and then I'm going to delight and you're delight in me and it's just going to be this wonderful cycle of delight. That would be you know, like lunacy, okay? That would not make any sense. That would be egotistical. But God is, if indeed he is the God of the Bible, legitimately the single most delightful being in the whole of the universe. There is nothing and no one that compares with him. There is nothing and no one more delightful than he. And so then for him to create everything that exists, to communicate himself, the single greatest and most delightful object being, thing in all of the universe, to everyone who exists is not egotistical. In fact, it's loving, it's gracious, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. He's created to that end. But if you think about it, that presupposes the necessity of the existence of evil and everything that comes with it. Now, why is that? Well, I'll give you some examples, okay? God is love, and he wants you to know that about him. But you don't know love without hate, do you? Can you fully appreciate love if you don't know its opposite? You don't. If the only category you have is love, you will not really appreciate and fully understand it if there isn't this other category that you can kind of spin it off against and go, oh, good grief, this is really important. This is really wonderful. God is love. You don't know love without hate. You don't know good without evil. You don't know truth without falsehood. You don't know life and its value without death and you never would. You don't know freedom without bondage, pardon without judgment, right without wrong, justice without injustice. You don't know wisdom without foolishness, strength without weakness, blessing without cursing, redemption without failure, healing without sickness or injury, joy without sorrow. You don't know forgiveness and grace and mercy without all of the things in my life and yours that call forth for those things, that cause us to need them and to go to God for them and in the going to God for them through faith in Jesus, finding them. I mean, if you sit down and think about it, you go, my goodness, there is so much about God. Indeed, the things about God that I most value and appreciate and that cause me to worship him that I would not know and in fact would be forever hidden from me and from you and from everyone else but for the existence of evil and all of its tragic consequences. And I don't say that to you guys flippantly. Like, this is not an exercise in logic for me. Like, I'm not going, hey, let's talk about this academically and dispassionately as if that isn't a massive human cost in suffering that we might see these aspects of God. You know, every once in a while, I have a conversation with somebody, and they're totally joking, and I'm not the least bit offended, so I'm not trying to sound snarky when I say this, okay, seriously. But every once in a while, somebody will mostly just jokingly say, oh, Tom, what do you know? You're a pastor, you know? What do you know about the real world? You're just a pastor. And I understand what they're saying, and I don't really say much at that point. I just kind of go, eh, whatever, you know. But if I was to formulate a serious response to it, I would say, look, I think that that betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of what it's like to be a pastor because 
I mean, frankly, because I'm a pastor, I typically deal more with more of the real world in one week than most people do in a year, than most people do in five years, depending on how insular you are than most people do in 10. Now, is that true for everybody? No, 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 but for most it is. Like I, I could probably say to my friend, hey, when was the last time you sat down with some grieving parents of a little kid whose funeral you're planning? I remember doing that with an eight-year-old girl. Didn't even know her parents. Fred Hunters just called us up in the middle of the day. Hey, can you please come over and just bail us out? We're with these parents. Their daughter died. And I sat there with these parents and the dad's just losing it. And he's like, on Wednesday, we're riding bikes together. On Friday, she's dead. Leukemia. Two days. Never heard of such a thing. Ever do that? Ever speak at that kind of a memorial service? I've done that. How many times have you been called by somebody who is telling you, please begging you to come over to their house in hysterics because somebody's just committed suicide? How many funerals have you done and spoken at and families have you ministered to and walked through that darkness? And that is a deep darkness. How many tales of abuse, of neglect, of all kinds of abandonment and betrayal have you, have you listened to and you just, in your head, you're going, I, 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 like, I don't even have a category by which to understand this. Like, I think I'm like one of the least naive people in the world at this point. Maybe that's not true, but it feels that way. And yet you're thinking to yourself, if I wrote this story up and I took it to a publisher, no matter how well written it was, they would reject it as a book because it's not believable enough to pass as fiction. How many hospitals do you know where to park? Do you know where the chapels are? Do you know where the elevators are to the different wings and places? When you pull up, you run through the litany in your mind of the people that you visited there, many of whom are no longer with us. Like, guys, I get it. It, 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 it's, it's not an academic conversation for me. And it's not an academic conversation for me personally. I mean, I shared this on Friday night at our team night, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, my wife's sister had a major stroke. She's in the ICU. Now, she's doing a little bit better, incidentally, so that's good. But that has just thrown everything in our lives in a hundred different ways, significant ways, just totally up in the air where we're just going, what's gonna happen today? really. And so many of you have been so amazing. Like we have gotten so much good food out of this deal that I I told Beth, I said, look, we just need to stay on this food plan. So just keep it coming, man. Like it's been, it's been amazing. Like you get the best of like from all of these people. And it's, it's actually really hugely helpful. I don't know that we've ever had need for that before, Uh, but now being on the receiving end, it's like, man, you know, guys are jumping in to preach for me. Matt did that last week. And Scott next week, but um, helpful, helpful stuff. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that when I get up here and I go, okay, so God created everything to reveal himself, okay, to everyone who exists. And that presupposes, it requires the existence of evil with all of its consequences, as difficult and dark as they are. I don't say that as somebody who's untouched by that. 
I don't say that as somebody who's not familiar with what that looks like. I get darkness. And your biggest fear when it's dark is that it's never going to pass and you can't hang on. If this is the new normal, oh, good grief. Scary. It really is. But where does it come from? I think that's a good question too. And you say, well, you know, Tom, I know the Bible, so I know the answer to that question. It comes from Adam and Eve. I mean, you know, we've got the story in the Garden of Eden, and here comes the evil one, and he comes in, and he tempts Adam, and Adam eats from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, and his, his wife eats from it, and like they plunge all of humanity into, into sin and into misery and into death and evil, and all of its consequences go back to that moment in time, which in a sense they do, but, but where did it come from in them? I mean, I get they had the opportunity where they could choose evil or they could choose good and they chose wrongly, but why? Where did that impulse come from? And you're like, well, you already told us, it's Satan. Okay, all right, so now it's Satan. I get it. And where did it come from in him? Uh Uh-oh. I mean, you start working your way backwards up the ladder or down the ladder, whichever way you want to call it. And all of a sudden, you've got no good answers. And here's what the Bible does not allow you to do. It does not allow you to then back it up to God and go, well, you created all things and therefore it must be from you. No, the Bible says you can't do that. Moses in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says this about God. He says, the rock, that's God, his work is what? It is perfect. Why? For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 1.13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, and Adam was tempted. I'm tempted, you're tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Jesus in Matthew 5.48 tells us that God is perfect. And then elsewhere in the Bible, in several different locations, we read that God is unchanging, which means that he has always been perfect, that he is presently perfect, that he will forever be perfect. The Bible utterly forecloses the possibility of laying evil, sin, iniquity, consequences, any darkness at all at the feet of God. And so what we have then is a God who created everything that exists to communicate himself to everyone who exists, and that communication required the existence of evil and its consequences. So clearly it was part of the plan. And yet, from whom we are foreclosed, from blaming him for it. You're like, how do you do that? How does that work exactly? Uh, I don't know. And here's the interesting part. Like, I don't know, and I'm okay with it. And the reason that I'm okay with it is this. It's self-awareness. It is the reality that I've come to grips with, and that is that I am a finite person. Like, I can only be in one place at one time. I can be here, I can't be there. I can be there, but then I can't be here. You get the idea? I am limited in my physical capabilities. I'm limited in my energies. I'm limited in my emotional resources. I'm limited in my intellectual capabilities. Like, I can only understand so much. And so then I have realized that it is unreasonable of me with my finite mind 
to think that I'm always going to be able to understand absolutely everything about an infinite God. That doesn't even make sense, does it? I should not expect to be able to do that. And so then in these areas where I go, yeah, I don't know, you know, as I'm making my way up the food chain and God goes, nope, not here, buddy, not that idea, not me. I say, well, that's just something I can't understand. And I believe what the Lord says about himself, no darkness in him, no iniquity in him, no imperfection in him, no temptations from him. And that's not unreasonable for me to kind of go, all right, that's a knot I can't untie. That's a riddle I can't solve. Why does evil exist? It exists to reveal to us things about God that we would never, ever, otherwise see, feel, experience, or be able to praise Him for, for all of eternity, if it did not exist. And here's the problem that we have, and we all struggle with this. When we are afflicted by darkness, when we are afflicted by evil, when we are in pain, and we're all there at various times, and it's intense, it is so hard to believe that someday down the road, the glory of God revealed to us will be so great that it's going to justify the cost we've had to pay to see it. Is that not true? And yet that's the word of the Lord to us. Paul comes to us, a man who suffered massively. And not just like once or twice, but like on a regular routine. And he speaks of eternity and of the glory to come. And he says, listen, in light of the glory to come that will be revealed, okay, here's the deal. What you're suffering right now will feel light and momentary in comparison. But buddy, it doesn't feel light and momentary right now, does it? See, another part of our problem is that we think of our lives as this span of years that we're given, however many or few they may be. That's it. Like we get this many years and we are looking for God to prove himself within this time frame. Okay, Lord, I am suffering like this and it is dark and this is awful and I can't stand it and I know you tell me that there's going to be glory and I need to see the glory like, you know, at the very latest tomorrow. God's like, listen, I didn't make you for 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years. I made you for eternity. And it's a bitter pill to swallow this. For eternity, you're going to see the glory. And this life is nothing but a precursor to it. The other thing that's difficult, I think, for us to believe when we're enveloped by the darkness, when, when life is painful and tough, is that God can and will bring anything good out of it. It's sort of like, you know, and even if you do bring something good out of it, Lord, I, you know, honestly, like, is it going to be good enough to justify this? It's almost like, keep the good, stop this. And yet, that's what he's promised to do too. What is our problem fundamentally? It's we have too low a view of God. That's it. Too low a view of his glory too low a view of his abilities, too low a view of his love, too low a view. So what does he call us to do? To come get to know him, to go deeper into him, to run at him, not from him. It's like running from the wind. 
Where are you going to go? To love him. To come to trust him. That's why it exists. That's where it comes from, or at least it's where it doesn't come from. That is to say, God. But the last question, and it's an add-on for me, is, you know, what do we do with our evil? Because it lives in us too. It does. I mean, we're all good people, are we not? At least according to our moms. We're good, right? Mom says I'm good, I'm an axe murderer. Yeah, you know, right, like mom still thinks I'm good. We all think we're good, and, and, and a lot of us are moving through life thinking, well, you know, I mean, I must be good with God because I'm, I'm seen to be pretty good with everybody else, including myself. My mom, again, also thinks I'm great. So I, I must be all right, but what is God's definition of good? Because it's not, hey, the landscaper's there, and you know what? I mean, it's a generally good. I'm pretty happy about it, but we need to change this. Or, or hey, you know what? You did a good job driving, except for when you almost rear-ended somebody. Or God's definition of good is himself. God is good, which means that God is perfect, which means that good is perfect, which means that we're in trouble. Evil lives in us too. We manifest our brokenness all the time. So that brings us to the life of Jesus, which Paul comments upon in Romans 5. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 17. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, That is to say, if because of the sin of Adam, he ate of the fruit, evil and death and misery is the idea, reigned over the human race, through that one man, it's passed on, we all have the virus. How much more is the idea, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, he says, as one trespass, that eating of the forbidden fruit that led to condemnation for all men. Okay, so one act of righteousness the voluntary suffering and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, well, that, that leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, God has come to rescue us from evil and rescue has a name. And rescue's name is Jesus. It's ironic to me, even though I fall into the same hole, (laughs) that when I'm afflicted by junk, I think to myself, oh my goodness, you know, keep the good, just bring this to an end, because I just think, man, I mean, how much good can there possibly be to come out of this thing? And I say that because I'm a Christian. And if you're a Christian, here's what you believe. Fundamentally, you believe that God took the murder of his own perfectly innocent son, And out of love for you, said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to accept the unjust murder of my perfectly innocent son as the full payment for every evil, awful thing you've ever said or done or thought, either toward yourself, toward anyone else, or even toward me. We are fundamentally a people who believe in the greatest good possible for us coming out of the most evil deed ever. It's at the core of who we are. That's the love of God for you. That's what he offers to you. And that's what he calls us to. Okay? So it's why evil exists. It's where it comes from or doesn't. Certainly doesn't. 
but it's also what he offers to do for the evil in me and you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to a world gone crazy or to our own selves gone crazy. We contribute. Let us be peacemakers. God, we thank you that you have given your son whom we took and crucified unjustly, the perfect one, and you have received his death in our place. And at the expense of that life, you freely offer us forgiveness. You freely offer us light. I pray that your spirit would give us faith, faith to receive what Christ has died to give to us. Faith to believe that you are as great and glorious as you claim so that clinging by our fingernails at times when necessary, we might cling to the future and endure the present, knowing that the glory is coming, that the good that you've promised will arrive at last, and that it will be ours forever. So give us that kind of faith, give us that kind of sight And Lord, let us then with that take the light of Jesus into the dark world in which we live and help others see it as well. Do these things we pray in Christ's name, amen.